0: You're listening to the Chasing Fandom Podcast on the Random Chatter Network with your host, Chris McGuffin.
1: After a short break, I'm proud to say that Chasing Fandom has returned. And this time, I have a really awesome episode planned for you. Recently, a new show by Seth MacFarlane has premiered called The Orville. It's a science fiction show that's almost a direct dedication to Star Trek, just with comedy involved. And the result is probably one of the biggest surprise hits of the fall season and it's something that I'm greatly enjoying so far. I desperately wanted to discuss it with someone, and I found the perfect candidate in Zack. Zack is an avid fan of all things Star Trek, and is enjoying the Orville as much as I am. So in this episode, we discuss the pilot of the show. However, we also delve deeper into the topic of science fiction as a whole, and cover many things from Star Trek all the way to Star Wars. This has probably been my favorite discussion for chasing fandom so far, so I hope you have as much fun with it as we do.
0: Geeks will inherit the Earth.
1: So I'm excited to have on Chasing Fandom this time, Patreon donor to Random Chatter, occasional contributor to Random Chatter, and Star Trek superfan, Zach. <laughs> Zach, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Chris? I'm doing quite well. Yeah, That's I had good. to throw in the Star Trek super superfan, <laughs> mainly because we're going to talk about that a little bit today, and also because you constantly fill slack with...
2: I... Uh, with, with I don't know Trek what stuff. you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you mean.
1: Every channel, all the time. Yeah, it's 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 <laughs> rare that a channel goes one one or two
2: days without a Star Trek mention or a GIF of some kind. Well, there's there's so much Star Trek that there's a huge uh, thing to. It's always applicable. You mm-hmm. can always find something.
1: Yeah, that's how I am with Seinfeld. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so before we uh, start talking about the Orville, because that's going mm-hmm. to be the the main topic today. Just tell people a little bit about yourself, you know, some of your top interests, what you'd like to do,
2: et cetera. I mean, there's not a lot to me. I'm a young married guy with two kids, so most of my time is spent with them. When I'm not doing that, like Chris said, I'm a big fan of Star Trek. It's probably the main thing I'm interested in. Or like you said, I don't have to call you Chris. Um, (laughs) uh, I read a lot, a lot more than I probably should. Both kind of I read a lot of kids' books. My daughter's not like little kids' books, but like young novels. So I enjoy a lot of those, and then lots of kind of fantasy, sci-fi as well. Pretty much anything that that's fantasy or sci-fi, I've at least given it a shot. Most of it I like, some of it I I don't. I'm a big fan of Star Wars too. Less so, maybe in the last year or so, just because the fandom has kind of exploded to be so huge. I feel a little lost most of the time, but uh, I've always loved Star Wars as well. Awesome.
1: Yeah, we we have a lot of shared interest even though sometimes we come to blows when it comes to star wars <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> all right well i guess we can go ahead and go on to our uh main discussion point the orville or the orville depending on how you <laughs> want to pronounce that last part of it first of all i am really curious to get your thoughts on it because i well yeah. i basically know how you feel because you're in <laughs> slack and we've already talked
2: about it But it took you, like, what, three watches to really start liking it? I I liked it the first time. I didn't hate it. Certainly visually I enjoyed a lot of it. The the reality is I saw the trailer for it. I don't really know how many times for sure. And because it's not a straight-up comedy show, there's only a few jokes throughout the whole hour, and most of them were in the trailer. So kind of a lot of the funny moments didn't land with me the same way they would have if I'd never seen them before. Mm -hmm. I liked it. I liked the show overall the first time. But, I mean, uh, on rewatching it, I've seen really the first, the the actual plot of the episode is only the last 20 minutes of it. Mm -hmm. All the rest of it is kind of building up to it. And so there's not, I mean, really, the plot of it, there's not much to it. It's a pretty basic plot as far as the mission that they do. And it just didn't wow me. But then I watched it a second time, and I liked it a lot more. And by the third time, I I just adored it. I don't know what changed, for sure. But uh, I've actually watched it another time since then. So that's four times in, in a week. That's kind of concerning. But uh, and it, I, I just, I, I I love it. And I don't know what changed from the first time, but it made me all the more excited for the next episode on Sunday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I have seen, I saw the trailer, I think, once. So I wasn't very familiar with the jokes. Uh, in fact, the only thing that uh, I remember was when Seth MacFarlane's character was talking to the, uh, I guess, the general or whatever you want to call him. Uh, Admiral, I think, is what it, what they referred to him as yeah. in the office, mm-hmm. but that's that's the only scene that I remember from the trailer. But I was really excited for this. So I'm, I, I sat down, I watched it, and I just fell in love from the first from the first viewing. I, I liked how it wasn't just full of like nothing but comedy, and it was actually serious at times. It had an Absolutely. actual plot because you know when it comes to a lot of the Seth MacFarlane stuff that we are used to, mainly Family Guy and American Dad. It's like, you know, yeah, there's a plot of an episode, but it's mainly just jokes. Yeah. And because that's, you know, that's really what comedies are. But I think this was really was something different for him. So it was it was refreshing, uh, especially coming from someone who I can't tell you, like I used to watch Family Guy every week. And then it just I just stopped because it was just not funny anymore or, or it it just lost the touch, I think, that it used to have. And yeah. it was it was really refreshing to see something come from him that also was more serious but still comedic
2: yeah i was surprised because when i first saw the trailer my first thought was this was going to be like a 30 minute or 22 minute comedy show mm-hmm. and then of course as it was leading up to it, i realized no it was a one hour and then he's going for more of a, a a drama feel and and once i knew that it kind of adjusted my expectation of the show a little and i think he nailed it i mean he's uh, said many times he's a massive star trek fan he appeared and i believe just one episode of star trek enterprise in the early 2000s and he's been wanting to make this show for a long time mm-hmm. so i was a little worried it would go too far into the spoof but i think his love for kind of i mean not the source material but for what he's paying homage to it's there and so he didn't he didn't he's not insulting what he's trying to spoof he's lovingly playing it off it's very um uh, compared to star trek which is always kind of like the upper echelons of of space travel this was very blue collar and mm-hmm. very relatable humor nothing felt like especially on subsequent watches i found none of the jokes felt like they were making a joke for joke's sake yeah it just kind of felt like it came out naturally from what i mean the, the joke about the dog in the background yeah i mean <laughs> it's a little weird that the dog was there licking itself but I looked at my wife right away and I said, you see that dog there, right? And then that's exactly what they said two minutes later when mm-hmm. the call ended. It doesn't feel forced, the the humor, which was my concern going into it. Yeah. Um,
1: and I do want to point out before we get too far into it that if you've not seen the episode first, you probably should do that before listening to the rest of this because I imagine there might be some... I mean, there's nothing really to spoil, but you know, we might talk about the ending of the episode or, or what happens. So if you want to go spoiler-free... Just stop now and then come back after you see the episode because I highly recommend watching it. But, yeah, I like what you said, how everything felt natural. You know, usually even just in, like, the best kind of comedy, you have, you know, things that are you feel like are put there because it's funny and yeah. for, like, no natural reason. But, like, the dog thing, I mean, that that's something that, you know, happens in life. And you know, in a, in a normal setting, you would just have like a dog just sitting there, trained tr- trained to just sit there. But you know, on like a normal kind of call with someone, you know, you might see something like that. Oh, sure. And then that's obviously the first thing that you're going to notice because you know it's looking itself.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you guys are constantly joking in your shows about how loose cats are roaming around, so it's not that yeah, odd for exactly. for stuff like that to happen. I also thought it was a it was a funny joke. I don't know if it was intentional. I have a feeling it maybe was. I didn't. Uh, to me, that looks like it's a beagle in the background. And um, in, in the l- latest Star Trek show before Discovery that's coming, the, the captain of the ship has a beagle on the ship with him. And that's the one that Seth MacFarlane was on. So that made me laugh, too, is just kind of a little. I, again, it might not have been intentional, mm-hmm. but to me, it made me chuckle because uh, it seems like it's just kind of a neat Easter egg that it, it doesn't affect whether or not the joke is funny. Yeah. But for those who recognize it, I think it made it even funnier. Another part I liked is when they
1: were going to, what is it, Epsilon? Uh, I think it's, yeah, something generic okay. like that. And the the guy was like, yeah, so it's going to be like 19 hours for the, uh, you know, to get there. And then they kind of have like some, uh, you know, just like everyday conversation. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, wait a minute, usually right now we would be skipping all of this and going yes. straight to the station. <laughs>
2: absolutely yeah it it's, it's very you know or you'd have some one like very brief scene that supposedly takes but it, the reality is if you were sitting on the bridge of a spaceship like that flying for 19 hours now hopefully they take breaks and shift changes in 19 hours but you would have boring conversation you know think about people on a road trip you if you have mm-hmm. got someone with you you chat about the stupidest of stuff sometimes yeah and that that all felt again it felt natural like it's we're not dealing with the best of the best in this show we're dealing with the average i mean certainly they're they're astronauts or whatever so they're but the the conversation all felt like it was natural stuff that anyone would have yeah
1: i agree so i like when they went to uh, they finally get to epsilon and when they sit Mm -hmm. down on the planet it it kind of looks like earth but it it also has some aspects of it that make it seem spacey because yeah no i agree when I was watching this, um, obviously the, the first thing that came to my mind because it's a Fox show was Firefly. And one criticism that Firefly oh, had was that when it would go to a new planet, it looked like Earth because they were filming yeah. here on Earth. So, you know, there's not much they could do. But this, yeah, it kind of had, you know, that Earth feel. But especially when they were in the uh, in, in like the botanical area. Yeah, it looked, you know, like a normal place with a lot of plants and possibly animals. But then you, like, look down in the water and you see, like, the that big creature swimming around in the water that turns out to be, like, one of the scientists. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> so, yeah, it just – little things like that really impressed me and and, yeah, and made the
2: show seem like it was standing out. Yeah, that's something that's always been hard for, for like, a weekly scientist fiction show to nail because one of the things about filming in the los angeles area is uh, i'm sure you're familiar with this chris they have to film within a, a 30 mile zone or they have to pay everybody mileage so you've only got so many exterior locations you mm. can use and if you use a set for everything it's obvious one of the jokes about uh early star trek is they basically used the same and light it differently and move some rocks around every episode yeah and that was all they had the budget to do but with this they they definitely nailed that and granted we're only one episode in so maybe every planet's going to end up looking similar but it it definitely it was very clearly outside but the architecture and all the backdrop and everything it all felt very space which i agree Mm -hmm. with it they nailed that feel yeah definitely
1: uh what did you think about the the characters not only the crew members but the people they meet up later in the episode and then the the enemy as
2: well what did you think about them (laughs) I mean, I liked all the crew, other than the main two characters. We didn't get very much with any of them, so I, I'm going to totally kind of reserve judgment for them, because some of them only have a couple lines. I liked the the villains that we met. We, again, we see very, very little of them, really. we, To my knowledge, and I've watched it four times now, so there's no main Krill villain that we see at any point in time. So I'm curious to see if they'll keep it that way or if they'll start to introduce a specific antagonist for them. I mm-hmm. like the design of them. They looked I mean they're they're a little reminiscent of a couple of Star Trek aliens who we've seen before, but they're they're distinctive enough that I like them. Uh, I mean their motivation's totally unclear as to what yeah. they're doing. I, I think it's interesting that they said something along the lines of, well the krill have not been sighted in this sector, so it seems like there's a there's some tension there that they're kind of monitoring each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm curious to see how they develop that. There's not much to go on with one episode, but I also liked uh, like the, the characters that they met on Epsilon station, like the scientists, not a ton with them, but all of their lines were delivered well and they were enjoyable. Actually the, the male scientist who they met kind of the the main guy, he actually also is a, a former Star Trek guest star. So it was nice seeing him on the show. I probably my favorite character was Derek just because oh, yeah. his name's Derek the <laughs> line <laughs> yeah, really of, of course <laughs> he's Derek I, I laughed at that quite a bit
1: yeah I'm surprised no one brought that up in slack well I know yeah I, people watched it
2: well I know Derek watched it so <laughs> so I'm surprised that that he didn't mention it but no that line made me laugh i i I like the the actual once the the plot of the mission gets going it was enjoyable it was just so short because it was only really the last half of the episode Mm -hmm. they don't have a ton of time to do much with that yeah i know because
1: i i wanted uh and read some reviews of the show after i saw the episode and yeah that was my reaction too Uh, a lot of people said it was just okay and that it maybe really didn't know what it was trying to do yet and I can maybe yeah. see that, but like, I, I think you're when, when you do that, and if you, especially if you start bringing in the Star Trek comparison, like as your main topic of uh, of review, I guess, yeah, I think you're missing the point because, yeah, it, it it pays homage to Star Trek, but it's not a Star Trek spoof.
0: No, like and, it, and it's not. It's also do. not.
2: It, I think I I think when people say that, that they feel like the show didn't know what it was trying to do. I think that. Where the, where the misunderstanding was is that people did not know what the show was trying to do going into it. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a 30-minute comedy show, and it's not. And that obvious. Like If you look at the people behind the scenes, one of the executive producers who's working with the writing staff was the showrunner for one of the Star Trek TV series that lasted seven years. So they're not, they're not just bringing in comedy writers to write this show, and mm-hmm. I don't think people were expecting that going in. I was pulled up an article here a few minutes ago. And it said something about the Orville basically being a failure. And I don't understand that. Like, from a rating standpoint, it brought in the same viewership to Fox that This Is Us did last season, which was a huge runaway hit for them. I mean, it's the first episode, so those numbers will go down. But I don't think it's a failure from a rating standpoint based on that. Mm -hmm. And I think for the people who knew what the show was, and it wasn't a failure from from a story standpoint or from a production standpoint, I think people – I don't know where the – I don't understand the reviews basically.
1: Yeah, I know a lot of people are really only reviewing the one episode, but I have seen some that say, well, I've seen like the second or third or maybe even fourth episode by now and it gets better and it's worth watching and it's not just you know the same shtick every week, which is good.
2: Yeah, and that's – the thing is because my understanding of it is they're going uh, highly episodic with it. Now I know I I assume that there's going to kind of be character progression as the season goes on, but there's no going to be not going to be an overarching plot story from my understanding. Mm-hmm. And that gives them uh the opportunity to do all sorts of crazy stuff with the concept. They could do time travel, they can do alternate universes, they can it's not always going to be go to planet X to help person X or yeah. person Y against alien Z or Z as you guys say. It, they're gonna they're gonna play with the formula, I think, in a way that's going to make it interesting.
1: Yeah, that's one thing that I've seen some of the people that work on the show and Seth himself too uh, talk about is the fact that each week is going to be kind of something different, and mm-hmm. and the way that you might expect a show like this to be like halfway through the season or at the end of the season might not be you know, what you are expecting to see from that kind of thing, which is, is good because, you know, so often, especially in sci-fi, we have uh, shows that, you know, just try to repeat the same formula or they never, you know, get off the ground. Um, and they just, you know, the same generic stuff. But that's why something like this is kind of surprising me because it has its, co- its comedic aspects. But like you said, it's not a comedy show set in space. It is, yeah. It is true science fiction with a real-world comedic twist.
2: Yeah, and the the one printer who worked on Star Trek before, Brandon Braga is his name, he did some of the most... I mean, heady is probably not the right word, but uh, he did some of the weirdest science fiction concepts that Star Trek has ever done. There's one episode that sticks out to me that he wrote in, I believe it's season seven of The Next Generation, that just has one character hopping through alternate... Like, basically... Every five minutes or so of the show, he jumps to a, a different timeline where there's a different change, mm-hmm. um, and I think that he'll bring something like that to to this show because they're not, from what I understand, working towards a main narrative goal at the end of the season. They're looking to explore the characters and the concepts, and when you can change some basic things, like if you if you jump to alternate timelines, to alternate dimensions, that explores the characters in a way that is meaningful. To us, it doesn't feel like it's filler because you're not trying to reach some narrative endpoint at the end of the season. You're just trying to get to know the characters and the concept better.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That, that's a very good
1: point. Now, I will ask you this Is there anything mm-hmm. that you were maybe disappointed with with a show, um, or maybe that's something you wanted to see uh, improve on? Uh, I, I have some things, so I'll let you go first.
2: Yeah, I mean, my main thing, and I don't know if this is a function of having seen most of the jokes before. I didn't laugh out loud very often for, I mean, and again, I know it's not a straight up comedy, but there were certainly jokes that did not land with me. I think because I'd seen them before, I have a little bit of a concern that it's not going to be as funny going forward as I'd hope. That's probably my biggest concern. The other one, and I, I think that they've got the people in place to do this, and i want to see all of the characters explored well we're only one episode in so there's no reason to say oh no they're never going to do that if we don't, based on one episode mm-hmm. but they've got a main cast here of seven people six or seven or eight people i can't count very quickly while talking but um that i want to see all of them get an episode i mean we're only 13 episodes this season so that's going to be tough but mm-hmm. i want to see each of the characters be individual not just be Person who sits at this console, person who sits at that console.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I think maybe they they kind of set up to do that later on in the season, mainly because mm-hmm. we had the scene where Seth uh, is talking to all of the people on the ship, and then he's like, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's dismissed except for senior officers, and then we meet like the main crew, and he talks to them individually, and and we kind of get get a very basic general feel about who they are. Exactly. I, I I don't think the show would have did that if they were just going to be thrown to the side and, and not mentioned.
2: Yeah, and that's the that's something in the past when Star Trek did that, they'd often have casts like this. There's eight main characters in the show I counted there. And they'd often have a hard time servicing one or two of the characters just because one would be a fan favorite, so you, you want to spend time with him, and so character C gets kind of fallen off to the side. I hope that they don't fall into that trap because I think all of the characters have the potential to be very interesting. And I don't want, say, to get to the end of, hopefully the show continues on, get to the end of season three and be like, man, we never really explored Bordas yeah. or, or Dr. Claire Finn. Because that, that feels, first of all, not that it's not fair, but that feels like you're not doing the actors justice and you're perhaps not doing the characters justice if you don't really let them have their own episodes to really sink their teeth into.
1: Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. Uh, you, you make a good point about that. And that that's my main – not worry about the show because I have no, no reason to worry one episode in. But my, my hope is that they do explore some of the characters and, and give them more development. You know, I'm a big fan of The Expanse. Yeah. And one great thing about that show is that even though it started off kind of as like a – you have a team – But then you also have a leader, and it's clear that the the quote unquote leader is the main character. Now, as we're into season two, we got more development of those, you know, not front facing characters, and it made everybody seem more equal. And you started to care for them rather than just, you know, mainly focusing on the hero. So I really hope that the Orville does that as well. Like we're not just getting, you know, some chemistry or development between. Seth's character and uh, his ex-wife, but we're getting it between the whole crew. And rather than feeling like it's a one-man effort or a one-man show, we get that sense of com- uh, camaraderie.
2: Yeah, and that's that's another thing that I hope for, because first of all, I hope the show continues for years. I mean, I hope they cancel it before it goes past its prime. But, uh, but I mean, if we got five to seven seasons of this, I'd love it. But what, what I hope to is that they let the actors and the characters develop their own chemistries within each other. I don't want... It'd be great to have each character have their own episodes, but something Star Trek did very well as this shows went on is certain characters developed relationships, and I think that's because the writers saw potential in those relationships, and so you'd often get episodes where, while, say, in Star Trek The Next Generation, Captain Picard's really the main character, where you'd get uh, a Geordi and a Data episode just about their relationship and they'd be off on the holodeck doing something. I hope we get that. I hope that there's not, as much as I like Seth MacFarlane as an actor and I like his character, I don't want to feel like we're only getting Bordis and his relationship with the captain or Alara and her relationship with the captain. I want to see how Alara and Bordis work together. Yeah. Uh, And I think that they'll do that. But I'm I'm hopeful that that's what they'll do.
1: Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. Uh, one other thing I, I want to ask you about regarding the show is the mm-hmm. jokes themselves and yeah. the, I guess you could say, the, the content within the jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, Family Guy is typically very, uh, it, it's dirty and uh, it can at times be very sensitive and it's yeah. not afraid to make the politically incorrect joke, which sure. is why it's often criticized. However I was not I was glad to see that this show didn't really resort to that kind of like humor that we're, we're typical of seeing at least in my opinion it was more you know natural like jokey type things rather than just like toilet humor for the sake of toilet humor
2: yeah I think I, I was chatting with my wife about that. Because, I mean, kind of the last joke of the episode is, and I mean, you already gave a spoiler warning, but right at the very end when they explode the tree out of the krill ship and he says, happy Arbor Day, and then Kelly Grayson says, I'd have said you got wood. That, that's that's kind of, I mean, it's not toilet humor, it's body humor. Mm -hmm. But it's not, I mean, my kids are three and one, so they're not watching and understanding these shows anyway. I wouldn't feel awful showing that to like a a seven to ten year old. It's yeah. not it's not too it's not too in the gutter. At the same time, unfortunately, kind of humor works by uh, working on association. So something's only funny if you have the same context that I have to it. Very few things are just universally funny for everyone. Yeah. And that low hanging fruit of body humor or toilet humor it, 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 it's funny to the the widest range of people of pretty much any kind of humor. Mm-hmm. And I think that they played with that joke when he said Happy Arbor Day, and every, most of the people were like, I don't know what that means mm-hmm. i did and i laughed so i think they'll I, i'm hopeful and i think that they will mix it up a little bit between some you know everyday humor that you know you or i would joke about with our friends or family and some that are maybe a little not quite so low-hanging fruit humor if that makes yeah. sense
1: all right so before we end this i want to talk a little star trek because i know mm-hmm. at, at this point you're probably dying to at least get something <laughs> out of it
2: um, well, I think I've, I think pretty much every question you've asked, I've managed to sneak it in one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. I'm used to it uh, inside now.
1: <laughs> so, uh, first of all, what, just basic, what are you expecting out of Trek Discovery?
2: Oh, I, I mean, I don't want to expect too much because I don't want to have my expectations disappointed. But based on everything I've seen, uh, and based on, I mean, granted, they're paid to work on the show. We're, to be related to the show, but from what everyone said, uh, Star Trek has a history of having really weak first seasons of its shows. I expect this to be the best first season of Star Trek, period. Again, that's not a hard bar to reach, but I think that they can reach it. They're working, from what it seems, with the exact opposite of what the Orville seems to be. They've got an arc. They've got 15 episodes of the first season. They have planned out where each episode is going to feel like part one, part two, part three and building together, which is something Star Trek has never really done before, certainly not in its first seasons of any of the shows. So I'm hoping that we get a really strong narrative arc where the characters really come to life and feel like they're real and the changes they're going through are real. Alongside that, I'm also hopeful that they take the time within that arc to explore some of the characters in ways that you can't if you're only focused on that narrative endpoint. Mm-hmm. Um again filler episodes have a bad connotation that I don't always agree with but there, there's 15 episodes I would like to see two to three of the episodes of the first season of discovery kind of have the the narrative arc take a backseat and explore the characters in the first trailer for the show Lieutenant Saru who's kind of that weird tall looking alien guy if you've seen the tra- trailer he says my race has been genetically determined for one purpose, to sense the coming of death. And, and I said right away to my wife, I said, that's a weird line because it doesn't really make any sense. Why would you create a race for that purpose? But if they explore it, if they look back at the history of that race at some point and are like, why did that happen? What does that mean for a race that their entire focus of life is related to death? If they do that, that's very Star Trek to mm-hmm. do. And I hope that in the 15 episodes of Narrative and ARC, they take the time to put the the narrative arc in the b plot and have an a plot exploring some of those weirder star trek sci-fi stuff yeah i'm also expecting the prettiest looking star trek show ever because it's been 12 years since star trek's been on tv <laughs> so and then they've got a big budget here that they're working with so i'm hopeful that it's going to look good uh perhaps not movie quality but if the show looked on par and i think it will with a show like the expanse i'll be happy because the expanse is gorgeous Mm -hmm. and other than that i don't want to get my hopes up too much because if it sucks it sucks and i don't want to be crushed i don't think it will but i also want to be prepared in case it does Mm -hmm.
1: yeah i know what you mean that's kind of how i am when it comes to star wars as you know
2: (laughs) i I, I stopped
1: having expectations a long time ago for star wars
2: yeah Uh, so and i'm just curious chris because you, you said you liked orville so much have you Ever watched any Star Trek?
1: I've seen the 2009 Star Trek movie. Okay. I have Into Darkness, but I've not seen mm-hmm. it. Um, I've, okay. I, I got it uh, actually when Blockbuster was going out of business. It was like one of the movies right. that they had for a dollar, so I picked it up. Bl- um, Blockbuster
2: lasted that long?
1: Yeah, it was, I think it was like 2013 when ours was business. Yeah, out I guess
2: that would have that matched up because I think the movie came out in summer of 13. Yeah. Wow.
1: But yeah, I've 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 not seen any of the other films, and I've not seen any of the series except for a few episodes of Next Generation. Okay, uh, but that was like in the late '90s, early 2000s, so I couldn't yeah. exactly you know start at the beginning.
2: Yeah, well, and that's like I, I mean I've grown up watching Star Trek my whole life, but growing up as a as a kid and as a teenager and even up to a few years ago i was always more of a star wars guy not that i think you can't love both but star trek is much more slow-paced and most of my memories of watching star trek come from that kind of late 90s period you know from the time i was like five till i was 10 Mm -hmm. and it's not really a while it can appeal to kids that age it's not really a show meant for them and, and so I've gone back here in the last few years and kind of rewatched it and also had my wife watch it for the first time. And I have a whole new appreciation for what Star Trek is. And so I think you should watch Star Trek as an adult mm-hmm. and give it a shot. <laughs> because because I think a lot of my impressions of what Star Trek was as a kid are not always true. To me, it always looked like a show that I wished it could be Star Wars but didn't have the budget to. And it's not that. Mm-hmm. And I'm hopeful. I want to see star trek discovery embrace what star trek is not try and become star wars on television Mm -hmm. because as a kid that's kind of what i thought it was in my brain was star wars without the budget to be star wars and that's not what it is but with with star wars being so successful now on the big screen um i think that the people who they have making discovery know what star trek is Mm -hmm. i just hope that the corporate Standpoint doesn't interfere with them creating that vision uh, and force them to go down the the straight up action packed route. Yeah, because um, that's something a lot of people complain about about the the reboot movies, Star Trek 09, uh, Into Darkness, and less so with Beyond, but the complaint still comes out there that their action with no substance. I don't really agree. The the films may have their flaws. I don't think that that's really what the issue is with them. But I don't want to see star trek on television be untrue to what star trek is yeah i
1: can definitely see that Uh, even even as someone who is not familiar at all with star trek on tv uh i've i've always sensed that there was a there it's a there is obviously a visible difference between star wars and uh star trek maybe not as much between the original films with with star trek but you know definitely like current day star wars is nothing like anything Star Trek has put out with the exception of maybe the most recent trilogy of movies but even then i mean that's i don't i don't think it's fair to really compare them
2: yeah i think i think the important thing and i think that even the most recent three movies do have this though it's not perhaps hitting you over the head with it star trek is always about something it may not and usually it's about something that's directly applicable to our world mm mm-hmm. mhm but the way that they always do it in star Trek is because it's science fiction, it it's equally applicable whether or not the episode came out in 66 in the original series or in 87 when the next generation premiered or now they, because they don't get specific about stuff. It allows the themes and messages of it to be applicable kind of at any time. Mm -hmm. And uh, as much as I adore star Wars, uh, and while maybe the overarching ideas about don't want to get political, but you know resisting fascism and all that, those are certainly applicable kind of at all points in time. They're not super specific to how we live our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. and Star Trek often is, yeah, that's something that I've
1: never really thought about. I mean, it seems obvious to think about you know all the influences with Star Wars, especially the original trilogy, mm-hmm. of that time that it was coming out and that it was being made. And then, you know, also obviously the, the stuff, especially, you know, like 1940s era uh, political conflicts that influenced Star Wars. But yeah, I mean, that it's kind of obvious whenever you think about it where Star Wars gets a lot of its inspiration from. But it's yeah. nice that Star Trek kind of it has something for everyone, but you don't necessarily have to be from the era that it was being released
2: or like affected by it, if that makes sense. Yeah, there was a... I mean, like I said, my wife and I are going through Star Trek right now, and not the original series. It's a little too old for her tastes, uh, because it's so dated. But some of the things that were written in the the late 80s, early 90s, uh, it's incredible that they weren't written, like, in 2016 or 2017 with how applicable they can be Mm -hmm. to some of the things we face. And yet, I'm sure they were also applicable in the late 80s and mid-90s. I just don't know because I was a child. And when Star Trek, even even there's times where, for example, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, one of the movies, is really a story about the fall of the Berlin Wall. It's not, but because they couch it in this conflict between the Federation and the Klingons, you can watch it and you don't need to know that context mm-hmm. because it's... While it is certainly about the end of the Cold War, it's more about how do you move on to a time of peace when you've lived in a time of war? Yeah. And that's always applicable. And even if you're not a soldier, which I'm not, it's how you can, you can even put it uh, into your personal life and say, how do you move on to mend a relationship with someone who you've been at odds with for years? Because all of us have faced that situation where mm-hmm. we can choose to let go of past problems or we can live with the resentment. And and that's where Star Trek flowers and is beautiful, when it is applicable in the big picture to world events and it's applicable in the small picture to how I choose to wake up and have an outlook that day. No, I'm not saying I th- live my life by Star Trek's perfect ideals. I'm not a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> but but it when when star trek when it, when when the end credits roll and an episode makes you think about something from a new angle or just makes you question the way you live your life both in the past and moving forward that's when star trek's at its best and it tells it with spaceships blowing each other up mm-hmm. so i i hope that discovery does that give me the spaceships blowing each other up cuz that's fun to watch but also make make sure there's something a little deeper in there mhm
1: uh, I, I've got to ask the question Are you at least a little bit worried about Discovery, given the fact that, well, for people in the United States, <laughs> we have to pay to see it, but for Canadians
2: like yourself, it's on TV? Uh, a little. I think I was more worried about it in the past. My first reaction when I heard about that was that, and heard about the new series in general, was that they were going to slapdash something together really quick to try and boost their streaming service and as there have been delays and kind of more information about those delays has come it's clear that they're not doing that they're putting real effort into making the best show that they can the the question is you're right will the 300 will how many of the 300 million people in the states will actually subscribe to cbs all access and watch it Mm -hmm. it's kind of a moot point in a way because when netflix got the distribution rights uh, allegedly the figure that they paid for it basically covered the production costs of Discovery. Now you've got advertising and things beyond that, but so there, there, there's not the same financial burden of when it, when it premieres on the 24th, it's not like the show is being released to the box office and it needs to make up all of its budget right away. Mm-hmm. A good portion of it's already been accounted for. I think if the show's good... I think that what will end up happening is people who have dismissed the show because it's on CBS All Access who are interested in the show will say, hey, I'm going to get a month and see what it's if it's worth, if the show's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know because I'm not a, a Game of Thrones fan, but my understanding is lots of people uh, get HBO for the f- month and a half that Game of Thrones is on TV a year mm-hmm. um, just for that specific purpose. And my understanding, I know with my cable company, if I wanted HBO, it's more than 5 or $6 a month for it. So I'm a little worried about it, but I think the success of CBS All Access is dependent on whether or not Star Trek Discovery is liked. Mm-hmm. I don't think the success of Discovery is dependent on whether or not people want CBS All Access. Because the rest of the worldwide market is going to be getting it for Netflix, which is... I mean, let's be honest. Netflix is almost like having water in your house. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost everyone has it. So, I think when everyone around the world is able to watch the show, I think that that will put some pressure on uh, American Star Trek fans, who many of them consider themselves to be the the main Star Trek fans. See, you know, Star Trek is an American show to not be left behind. Yeah, and and to get it. So and and again, it's it's kind of like when when the Force Awakens came out, and you had so many people saying, "Oh well, it threw out legends. I'm not gonna go watch the show or whatever, or watch the movie or whatever." Mm-hmm. And then they were the first people going to to midnight showings or early screenings, so they could spoil it for other people. Yeah, that I mean, that's that's poor form. I don't approve of that. But as far as whether or not the movie succeeded, all that did was put money in Disney's pocket. And exactly. so I think that there will be people like that. Who go and get CBS All Access just to hate watch the show, mm-hmm. and that's their choice. If they don't want to enjoy it, that's fine. So long as their money goes to the people who made the show and they get paid, that's important. And as so long as their money goes to keep the show going, I don't care. Let them waste their money on something they don't enjoy.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, I'm. I would be more inclined to watch this show just as a casual you know TV watcher mm-hmm. if it was you know, accessible to me or if it was yeah. on something like Hulu or Netflix or even just like an on demand type thing that, yeah, maybe I have to wait a week to watch the episode, but at least I don't have to pay for it. Yeah, um, CBS all access doesn't really have anything aside from this that I would want to spend the money on to watch it, mm-hmm. which I know I've seen, I've seen some people say that they're going to wait for the series to be finished or the season rather. Uh, and then, Buy a month of uh, All Access, binge watch yeah. it, and then go that route, which, like you said, doesn't really matter to CBS because they still get the money and they already covered their uh, production costs based on the Netflix deal. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's not a big deal to them. I, I think they would be more concerned about maintaining a fan base. And to be honest with you, um, I think people that want to watch the series but will adamantly not buy all access or maybe they can't afford it i mean yeah they might resort to piracy but if you're cbs do you really care because you're still having people watch your show i mean you're not getting ratings you're not getting their money but it's not it's not like you're not making money in the process because you're still getting something from netflix you're still getting uh the people that do are paying for it and you're getting the fans even though they don't show up on the actual like numbered rating system
2: yeah, well, I mean, look at again. HBO brags that Game of Thrones is the most pirated show, mm-hmm. um, because they know that while some people may resort to piracy, and I don't, I'm, I'm pulling a number out of my butt here, but for every person that pirates it, presumably like ten people watch it yeah. on HBO, kind of thing. I think that ratio is probably off. But the other thing, and I think that this is part of what CBS is. Probably interested in they're they're playing this whole thing very close to the chest or the vest, depending on where you live, how you say that saying so they're not they're not releasing media screeners beforehand, which has some people concerned. but when it's streaming and I'm not an i t professional, my understanding is it's going to be a lot harder to pirate because of that. I mean, mm-hmm. I suppose you could set up a capture card on your but you're going to get substandard quality as opposed to the people who record it on their DVR and then hack their dvr or whatever they do to get it so i i don't think that they will see a huge amount of piracy of high quality versions of the show available for people to watch which i'm sure they're interested in um but i think worst case scenario for the show cbs all access is not a huge success and the next season is on netflix when it airs Mm -hmm. I don't think that CBS All Access failing will mean that Discovery fails. I think if Discovery fails, CBS All Access will fail.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But but I think that there will be enough word of mouth, there will be enough positive feedback from it, if the show's good, that it will take on a life of its own. And the, the problem is it's never going to be on, on main CBS. My understanding, uh, as a Canadian, I don't know for sure, is that CBS is your guys' number one network. hmm uh, no matter how good numbers it brings in, it will not be a success on CBS. Yeah. I don't want to see it sold to, say, a channel like The CW, which it seems is CBS's main place to shop stuff out to, because it doesn't fit that feel of The CW. hmm And I think that's why they're they're putting it where they're sure it's a money-making thing, because it means more money for them. But I think that the show, if it's good... Will succeed in spite of whether or not CBS All Access succeeds. Yeah, that's a
1: good way to look at it. I mean, again, as someone who's not really a Trek fan but is interested in watching the show because hey, it's new sci-fi on television. Mm-hmm. Um, I will seek out the show if that makes sense to yeah. watch. Um, I I will certainly watch the premiere on CBS, which I'm glad that they're they they're doing. Um, but I I do hope that it you know it's it. It succeeds and, you know, regardless of whether or not people like paying for it, at least here in the States, I hope it still maintains uh, a strong fan base and, you know, maybe gives the network something to think about. I mean, because I'm I'm like you, I don't think that we're at a place right now where we can air um, something like Star Trek on a, a station Like CPS, I mean, I don't even think that um, you could put Star Wars on ABC and have it succeed. I'm honestly surprised that things like Agents of Shield and Agent Carter um, were put on ABC and are as successful as they are, because that just—I don't know—it mind boggles me. But yeah, yeah, I maybe this is a good thing to at least start off and, and you know see how the fan base reacts to it, because. Honestly, if if it were me and I'd be sitting in that CBS boardroom after the first season, if we if the show is doing remarkably well, not in terms of people watching it, but also people like rating it highly as quality television regardless of who's watching it, I'd be like, you know, maybe we should take it off of this platform, make it more accessible because not only would we be getting more viewers and more Non-pirated viewers, Mm -hmm. but also we're maintaining our our high ratings and our yeah, um, our like not the like the scores of the the quality, not the people that watch
2: it. Yeah, the thing I'm interested in the the kind of two things I'm interested in is how they handle the release of it once the season has wrapped. Mm -hmm. Because my understanding, just from looking on iTunes, at least in Canada, is for a show like Game of Thrones, you cannot buy a season of Game of Thrones on iTunes, and I may be wrong about this, while the show is airing, but it's more or less as soon as it's done, it becomes released on iTunes for people to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, And then same with DVDs, obviously there's production time, so there's a delay on that. Uh, I hope that they still release it, say on iTunes, say on Google Play, on DVD, Mm Blu-ray. I'm worried that they won't because it's there on CBS All Access for people to watch. Because I think if they do that, if they release it on Blu-ray for people to watch, people will watch it in the off-season and tune into season two. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think while I agree that genre film or TV doesn't usually succeed in the way that non-genre TV does, I think that it seems like Discovery's coming out at kind of the perfect point. Again, Star Wars is as big as it's ever been. And there's not... I was thinking about this on my way to work this morning. There's not a lot of mainstream science fiction even in the public, you know, consciousness right now. You go back 10-15 mm-hmm. years, uh Star Trek was on TV. Once Star Trek finished, there was Battlestar Galactica, which seems to me to have been a decent pop culture phenomenon, but once Battlestar ended, I don't think there's been anything like that since. Yeah, there really even, hasn't. Even The Expanse, which is loved and it's a great show, I don't think it has a huge following. And like, unfortunately, with The Orville getting the numbers it did last week, which is great for it, and I'm very happy for it, probably more people have watched an episode of The Orville now than have ever watched an episode of The Expanse, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah, uh, but that is very weird to think about. <laughs> given that The Orville did so well, I mean, competing with This Is Us, which is as non-genre as a show can get. I love the show, but it's just very drama, and that's it. hmm Uh, getting premiere numbers like that, I think shows that there is an interest in good science fiction on television. Yep. And, and I think that if star Trek comes in and is well liked and enough people watch it to get that word of mouth going around, I mean, with the probable exception of, of star Wars, star Trek is one of the most recognizable names in pop culture. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: As far as straight up television, I mean, maybe law and order, well, probably law and order. Is more recognized as a name just in general than Star Trek, but there's not much else yeah. that comes even close to just the immediate recognition on the street of Star Trek. And so, with how good the Orville did, and it's not even actually Star Trek, I think that they're potentially going to tap into a demand in the market that has not been tapped into yet. Mm-hmm. And, I and if, agree. and if it can become what Star Trek was in the mid '80s or late '80s, early '90s. Which was just everyone was watching it. The, the the sheer number of people who watched something like... Uh, there was a TNG episode with Spock in it, and I can't remember the numbers off the top of it. But like something like 10% of the people in America watched that show as it aired. I don't think that will ever happen again, because there's so much diversity in terms of shows. But Star Trek has the potential to be a show that can resume that. I mean... Uh, Again, a show like This Is Us, last season, everyone was talking about that show Mm -hmm. because it was... And again, I don't think, unfortunately, as much as I I like it, a show like The Orville will maintain that viewership. But if Star Trek can fit in there where there's this desire for science fiction that I think there is, I think that it could succeed very well. And Mm -hmm. you're right, it could potentially come off CBS All Access uh, if CBS is willing, and that would be great not only for Star Trek... But I think for science fiction as a whole, because the 80s and 90s and early 2000s were full of science fiction. It was all over the place. And it's not right now unless you're on Mm sci-fi. And and I think that that's unfortunate because as a big sci-fi fan, I think a lot of people have a tendency to dismiss it. I was in the park the other day and I heard someone talking about Star Trek. He said, I've never seen any of that Star Wars, Star Trek crap says, you just have to turn off your brain if you're going to enjoy stuff like that. And I don't think that that's true. No, that's not I, true at all. <laughs> I leaned over to my wife. He was close enough that he could hear me. And I just said, I can't believe that I just heard that. Because I, I totally disagree with that on so many fundamental levels. But I think that there was a time when more people knew that that wasn't the case about science fiction. Mm-hmm. But in the last 10 years of there being sort of this famine of it on television... That that idea has kind of cropped back up. Yeah. And I I hope that that gets removed, because if more people don't think that way, then we just get more science fiction of all sorts. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, I love Star Trek to bits. I would love to see something totally original as far as science fiction come out and blow me away. The Expanse did it and it's not even incredibly original. I mean, it is. I don't want to dis- discount the expanse, but it's still people in spaceships doing stuff. A show like the late 90s birthed Stargate, which is not people in spaceships for the first five or six seasons of the show anyway. And I would love to see someone come out with something totally new as far as a science fiction concept, because we've got too much remakes, reboots, sequels, yeah. that I want, I want to see science fiction succeed again. I definitely agree there. Even even as a as a book lover going to the bookstore in the last ten fifteen years where I've paid attention, the science fiction section has slowly shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk in in the bookstores I go to, while right beside it, the fantasy section has grown through things mm-hmm. like Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, and I love both genres. But I described it once in an article I wrote. Uh, I came to fantasy later in life, like as an adult, and so fantasy is like. My it's it's probably my deepest love. I don't know. Like I really I, I adore fantasy, especially in literature. But science fiction will always hold a special part as my first love.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That if if you handed me something that is proclaimed to be the best science fiction book of all time that I've never read, or the best fantasy book of all time that I've never read, I'll take the science fiction book, and and I want to see more science fiction. Mm-hmm.
1: I know what you mean. You mentioned uh, sci fi on television. I think it's fascinating where we've come, at least in maybe like the past, even 10 years is small, probably the last 15 years when it comes to sci fi on TV. Because, you know, growing up, I liked, because I, I saw Star Wars in like the mid to late 90s <laughs> um, and loved it and have really always been. I don't call call myself really a fan of sci-fi because it's such a broad genre that mm-hmm. you may like one aspect of it, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're a sci-fi fan just because yeah. there's so much to really wrap your head around. But I've always had an appreciation for it, and that's why, you know, I wish I could have watched The Next Generation when it was on TV because that was the one that was always airing on repeat. Yeah. But- I couldn't because I would have had to head start at the beginning, and there's just there's, there's no way to do that um, at, at that time because it was before you know DVD box sets and all yeah. that. So it's it's nice to see you know. Then we had Battlestar Galactica, and that kind of filled a void that was empty for a while. And then, like you said, there's not really been anything, and I think shows like The Expanse is is giving. Sci the sci fi channel, especially, but yeah, also just a lot of other people talking about ways we can kind of bring this back to a, a staple of television. I mean, I remember growing up, sci fi channel only aired like a few decent things that wasn't Battlestar Galactica. I mean, it had the, some of the Stargate series, which is which is cool at a time, showed some Doctor Who and. Aside from that, it was mainly really cheesy movies and Twilight Zone and, you know, a (laughs) few other maybe related to science fiction alien type stuff. But now maybe, you know, we're we're getting into this new age of, like, original science fiction programming. And, you know, that can only do wonders for uh, a show, for a network like sci-fi. Yeah. And I, I do hope that, you know, this continues and... You know, I, I want to see Star Trek Discovery succeed. I want it to do well, um, even if even if I don't end up watching it and enjoying it. I want it to succeed. Yeah, uh, and I w- I would hope that you know that pretty much everyone feels that
2: way too. Yeah, and that's it. Like a show like The Expanse, which is phenomenal. It, it's it, it, it to me, it feels like it's come into science fiction at one of its lower points. Like yeah. Not Expanse, but science fiction in terms of its recognition. Uh, and it's like if, if if science fiction on TV is this asphyxiating body on the ground, the Expanse is doing a valiant job of doing you know CPR on it. But the Expanse, unfortunately, doesn't have the name recognition uh, outside of, of you know literary circles to really boost the the genre up again. But I think if a show like Star Trek Discovery does well. It will be good for the expanse. It will be good. For, and, and because it's, everything's corporate and everything's money making, everything gets treated like competition. And I don't think it, I hope that it, it wouldn't be that way. I think if Star Trek does well, the expanse will do better. And mm-hmm. both of them will push each other to be the, you know, to continue to push their game forward. And again, that's only good. More science fiction, higher quality science fiction uh, is never a bad thing in, in my books. And and I think, and I may be wrong about this, because I, I'm, I'm out of science fiction as far as books is concerned, to a large degree. But I think that the the output of science fiction, even in books, has gone down from what it was in the, well, certainly in the, in the kind of the golden age of science fiction, when you had so many writers writing in it. And now, other than than the expanse, I can't think of anything that I've heard of in the last 10 years that's been called like uh, a staple of the genre, as far as fiction is concerned. Uh, I've read some good science fiction in the last ten years, but nothing that people say like this is what this is the best science fiction has to offer, and this stands with the greats. And, and I think that it's time for that to change.
1: Hopefully, yeah. I I, I can't agree more.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and I think unfortunately, as again, as much as I adore Star Wars, Star Wars I don't think is the property to do that. Yeah, because it's i mean it's spaceships it's science fiction it's it's primarily a space opera space fantasy though and i'd love to see star wars delve into some more you know hard sci-fi stories but, but I, don't I don't think, think that they, they will. will and Absolutely. so i don't think that it is unfortunately the property to really boost science fiction back up again
0: mm-hmm. because,
2: because it's it's mythic storytelling it's you know star wars is in my books closer to a Marvel movie or uh, Harry Potter than it is to true science fiction. It's It's archetypes which are wonderful and they they mean a lot, but it's it's not what I fell in love with with science fiction in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Star
1: Wars, I mean, it it has those those sci-fi elements to it, but it is most definitely not true science fiction the way that we, the way that we really uh, imagine it. I mean, it's like saying that something like one of the Marvel films. I mean, I know this is going to sound weird to say, but personally, aside from a few exceptions, I really don't see some of the mainstream Marvel movies and I'm really talking about the adventures here Mm -hmm. as true superhero movies because it's really set in our world and it's really just people with powers yeah Um, whereas something like you know guardians of the galaxy that is that that is more superhero based because it's it's not set really here and it's more fantastical stuff rather than just people on earth with powers fighting
2: evil yeah, I can see that. And that's, yeah, like, again, I adore Star Wars. I adore mythic storytelling, which is what Star Wars is great at doing. But, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just because I'm not at that that point in my life. There is no character in Star Wars who I really look at, and the choices that they make, the decisions they make, make me, if not question, but make me examine my own choices in life. Because we, we don't see them making small Individual decisions. They're making massive galaxy-changing decisions, which are exciting, but they're not. I don't make a galaxy-changing decision in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky if I make a day-changing decision in most of my lo- days. You know, I just you kind of we're kind of all on autopilot, yeah, most days. And and whilst Star Trek and and good sci-fi deals with these big ideas that are beyond our control, it also sometimes deals with that the the mundanity mundanity of of day-to-day life mm. that that star wars i mean the expanse is perfect at doing that while it is a big action awesome show one of the things that attracted me most to the expanse reading it was that the authors clearly like coffee i like <laughs> coffee there's a lot of coffee talk in the books mm-hmm. there's less so in the show but it's there that makes the characters feel real to me in a way that while I love them, Star Wars characters don't, mm-hmm. because you see them making the coffee in the morning. You don't see Darth Vader making coffee. Yeah, thankfully, exactly. <laughs> but that's not the kind of story it tells. And and to me, true science fiction is basically us. You know, you and I, the people who we are now, in a situation that is so wildly different, but we're still us. Mm-hmm. We're not a heroic archetype of who. A person is we're just people and i certainly feel that way with the expanse pretty well any good science fiction and this is primarily tv because i think science fiction in its truest form succeeds in television perhaps the best Mm -hmm. and i want to see more of that because i think i think that that's where science fiction is at its best and i think that it can produce some of the best television that we've seen because it can it can directly tackle world issues today Without directly tackling world issues today, because mm-hmm. they're not using people's names, or it's not about Vietnam. It's about oh the something uprising on such and such planet. Yeah, uh, and, and we don't get that these days.
1: You made me think of something um, based on what you said there, and it, I don't. I don't want to. R- hopefully, not get into it, but with. I want to try to make it more broad than just saying the star Wars books,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I, I think obviously, you know, and everyone that knows <laughs> me uh, is aware that I do not read the star Wars books because I, I just do not find them entertaining or enjoyable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, I, I try, I, I've wanted for so long to find pro- a proper answer to that and like give people reasons that I can show them why I don't like it. And Honestly, it's it's really difficult to do it Because, you know, I you would think that I would As much as I really like Star Wars That I would be super into reading the books But for some reason they just don't grab my attention And I think some of it has to do with the fact And I don't know if this is just the authors Or, um, and I'm certain there are exceptions to this or, or it's the people that that's maintaining where the story goes Because it's not just a new canon thing It's It happened in Legends 2 Right um, Star Wars to me, what, like when I go see any of the movies, be it the prequels, original trilogy, Rogue One, or uh, TFA, um, and I'm assuming Last Jedi will be the same way. When I go there, I, I'm not like setting in my seat trying to figure out the hardcore details of, let's say, the character's name or their race sure. or where their planet is. From or what is on their planet, or what the spaceship is, or what makes up a lightsaber, or all of the, these little fine detailed um, terms, I'm just watching a movie and pretty much getting the entirety of it without having to know all these these little background details. When I read one of the novels, I get so much information thrown at me that I ha- like made up words is one thing that I just hate. <laughs> In, in science fiction Like just say bathroom You don't have to make up a word for it And I mean I understand That you're trying to, to distinguish That universe from our own But it's like you said The best sci-fi is whenever you can relate To us Like that's why I like The Expanse And yes I've not read the books But I started Leviathan Wakes And the reason mm-hmm. it captivated me Was because I understood what was going on Because it didn't need Yeah it, you know, it had its you know, science mumbo jumbo in there. But for the most part, I understood, I got the basic idea of what was going on. And to me, at least in the, in the Star Wars books that I've tried to read, and it's not just been one or two, because I know someone will uh, accuse (laughs) me of that. I've tried reading Star Wars for like almost 20 years now. So don't give me that. But it's just, it's difficult for me to read that because sometimes it's just, it has all these details, and I don't need to know the details. I just want to have a fun, romping adventure of some people flying through space with space battles and maybe lightsabers if there's yeah. Jedi or Sith
2: involved. And I mean, do you see what I mean? Well, I'll be honest with you, Chris. In the fir- For the first time in all of your discussion of the Star Wars books, I think I actually maybe understand what you're saying. Okay. Because I read a fair bit of Legends, not as much as some. Because I much, much it was published, and I was far too young to be reading books that length. But um, for me, up until the new canon, there was a, there was a very distinctive feel in Legends between the books and the movies. The movies were fast paced action. You're right, but the 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 books kind of delved in and created a bigger world around Star Trek Star Wars. That mm-hmm. appealed to me. I don't I didn't mind that. I can see why it wouldn't appeal to some, and that makes sense. Certainly, I think with the new canon, we're we're being told by, and I like the new canon books, but we're being told by Lucasfilm, by the story group, that the, it's all in the same world. Yet, when, when you do get all this minute detail, to me, the books that we're getting even now feel more like they belong to the literary Star Wars world than the movie Star Wars world. I... I don't know if that makes sense, but when I read the books as a kid and and a teenager growing up, I knew that I was never going to hear the term calf or refresher in a movie
0: Mm -hmm. because
2: they're never going to bother to do that because they're telling massive, spanning stories. And I just knew that the books were different. But now with the new canon, it it does feel like we get a lot of the kind of mundane day-to-day life of some of the characters and all the things that they do. But that doesn't, to me, that doesn't match up with the movie as with the books, in mm-hmm. my opinion. But now we're being told that it's supposed to. Yeah. And I don't think that it does. Again, I don't think that that means the books are not enjoyable or quality. I've enjoyed many of them. But to me, where Star Trek novels have been their best in recent years has been a book like Dark Disciple, which is in the new canon. And it's a continuation of Clone Wars, which I know you're not a fan of. I personally adored the Clone Wars. And that book read like an episode of Clone Wars. There was not a bunch of extra, unused, you know, unment- unimportant stuff just to make the world feel bigger. It mm-hmm. was like, you know what the world of Star Wars is because you've seen all the movies. You've seen all these episodes. We're not going to work to try and make it seem bigger than it is. We're just going to go. And yeah. we're just going to tell a heck of a story. And Dark Disciple is, while it doesn't change the galaxy as a whole from a character standpoint, it's a heck of a story mm-hmm. if you know those characters. And... It feels like reading an episode of The Clone Wars. And I don't think – Star for me, Star Wars books have never really felt like reading a movie. But even more so now, I don't think that they do because of some of the constraints that the, the story group puts on them. Mm-hmm. And I, I can totally see that because it, I would love to pick up a book that just read like watching a Star Wars movie. But I don't think that that book exists. Yeah. In, in Star Wars, anyway, I think other science fiction writers may have written them, and obviously they're not Star Wars. But in the, the official licensed Star Wars books, they don't really feel like watching a movie in book form. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I mean, a book that a lot of people liked, I was a little mixed on, but and I think you read part of, was uh, Catalyst. Fascinating yeah. book. Nothing like a Star Wars movie. Oh, yeah. Yep. I agree. Uh, at all. Just totally different it was enjoyable but I uh, again i've read heck some of the later expanse books read more like star wars than that did mm-hmm. it, it was totally unlike star wars movies other than other than the terms and i'm fine with that but i can see why that would totally turn you off that makes sense to me now for the first time well i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad we finally
1: got somewhere <laughs> I'm gonna have to actually bring this up on echo base
2: now because then <laughs> maybe people will stop giving me hell for it <laughs> i it will tell them tell them to listen to this episode of chasing fandom sounds uh, good <laughs> and 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 i think I think to me it makes sense uh for the first time. There's other things about you that don't, but that makes <laughs> sense <laughs> yeah
1: I think that that that's that's a conversation <laughs> for another <day.
2: laughs> absolutely
1: uh do you think that Star Wars books uh, might be more successful not not to just you know the general fandom that seems to just latch onto everything that comes out with the Star Wars name on it but to more casual fans as well that may not normally read the books do you think if it was if they read more like a movie or or not read like you're watching a movie really but played out more in that in that fashion do you think that they'd be more success, uh, successful in terms of sales not in popularity not necessarily quality
2: yeah i don't know because, and, and I know this is something that I've heard you mention before, and I, I agree with this to a certain extent. If someone likes to read books, they, they tend to get educated in, in language as much as they can. I only have a high school diploma, but I, I read a lot of big air quotes literature. And I think tie-in fiction will always be dismissed unfairly. I think, like for me, I know as a kid, I would grab the Star Wars books because I thought that it would be like reading one of the movies. And and some of the older books were not ever exactly had that feel, but some of them were closer. But I think a lot of adults will just walk past the tie-in fiction section and just dismiss it because it's got that Star Wars name on it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's that built-in audience that will always buy a Star Wars book when it comes out. And I've been part of that. I haven't been the last few months, but that that's me. I, I will read them at some point. Social media hype and advertising will bring in a few more readers. But I don't think that, in the same way that people, lots of people will always dismiss science fiction and fantasy, I think that science fiction and fantasy tie-in fiction has even more of a handicap against it mm-hmm. to to ever be commercially successful and commercially recognized you no matter how good it is you're never going to see a star wars b- book win a hugo or a nebula yeah and 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 that's unfortunate because some of the writers who write it are very very talented actually timothy zahn who wrote the Thrawn trilogy and then most recently wrote Thrawn in the new canon uh some of his Non Star Wars science fiction, well, maybe not being the most high minded, big idea science fiction, is just phenomenal to read. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, the Icarus Hunt I, I loved. Uh, one of his books that does have a fair bit of kind of moral pontifications—the wrong word—but moral discussion in it is a book called Angel Mass, which is about. It's kind of about, essentially, people wear these things around their necks that have. Uh, uh, quanta, like uh, in in terms of quantum mechanics, of just essential goodness. and And so it discusses characters' motivations and things like that. and I, I I think unfortunately, those books, in terms of getting widespread recognition and acceptance, may do better than his Star Wars books because those Star Wars books, they, in a way, they limit themselves to Star Wars fans.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: and and, so I don't know that they would ever, like, you. I don't think you're ever going to see a Star Wars book on the bestsellers list, I guess is what I'm saying. Certainly not maintain itself on the bestsellers list for weeks on end, mm-hmm. whereas you could see other science fiction. And I don't know if that's even something that could be changed. Hmm. You know, I think
1: that in and of itself is a topic that could be just discussed from the point of view of Star Wars fans. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna have to write that down for Echo Base later.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a good that's a good question. How to uh, like if, if if there would be a way to have Star Wars books appeal beyond the fandom? Mm-hmm. I I kind of like
1: the I, I'm sitting here thinking of of genre books that really went beyond its its demographic and the people yeah. that it was written for. And the first thing that comes to mind is Harry Potter. Oh yeah, because those are fantasy books. Yeah, true and true. And yeah, you know they're they're written at a more lower reading level than you know normal something for like an adult because you know they're kids books that kind of eventually went into teen fiction and then more like really young adult books. Yeah, as it went on. But like when I read that. I never had any issues with going into the wizarding world. It it was almost like they were books from that point of view written for a muggle.
2: Yeah, I think I I was chatting actually with with someone about this very recently, about those very books. Um, It might have even been this morning. I can't remember conversations I have. But Harry Potter is told from, at the start, an 11-year-old's perspective, building up to a 17-year-old's perspective – yeah, 17. And the, the, the lens that the books goes through changes as that goes on to so you get a more mature worldview. But even in the first book, when you read it, while you're reading a story about kids, I've always got the sense, and, and granted I came to the books as an adult, that it took place in a fully fleshed out adult world. Mm-hmm. where, And not, not in the, the, the sexual way, but where adult things happen. Racism was evident, book one it's it's there. It's not mm-hmm. overly discussed, because you're looking at it from a kid's standpoint, but it's there, and that I think is what made the book so successful among kids, is they appealed to that worldview, but even among adults, is they... they it, as an adult, reading it for the first time, it could have occurred in our world. I know it didn't, obviously, but it feels maturely approached, even though it's for kids. Mm-hmm. And... I'd love it if Star Wars did that, but uh, honestly, though, other than Harry Potter, I'm not sure that any series has ever really done that.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of think too that I got into Harry Potter around 2000 and let's see, when did Prisoner of Azkaban book came uh, movie come out? Like movie? Three. Oh, three, oh, four maybe. Yeah, it was around that period when i first because that was the first uh harry potter thing that i saw was the prisoner of azkaban movie Mm -hmm. and then i went back and read the books but i mean i just fell in love with that series and i mean i'm not the biggest fantasy guy Mm -hmm. in the world but i i if, if you gave me something right now that was on par with that maybe not even like not story wise but like Someone knew that I would fall in love with the, with a new set of books, just like I did with Harry Potter. I would like sit down and read them in an instant because, I mean, that something about them is just that they're they're so accessible. Yeah, and like you don't even have to be a fan of of that genre or really of like lower level reading books to appreciate them. Like you could be the most scholarly person in the world. Read Harry Potter, and just fall in love with it. You don't just like you can be someone who doesn't read that often, but read Harry Potter and love it. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those phenomenons too that I'm I'm not, not even sure. I mean, you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, nothing has ever really done that. Well, that's probably because Harry Potter is so special and and significant in a way that it's it's unique to what it set out to do and no one's really been able to to really replicate that
2: yeah and i think that that's the because the thing that's incredible uh i i didn't really follow it as when i was seven years old but my understanding is harry potter was very popular even before there were movies oh as, yeah. appo- as opposed to something like say game of thrones which while it was popular among fantasy circles did not you would you didn't see people reading game of thrones on the bus until it was a show mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it exploded and I think that that probably what happened with Harry Potter is through some weird alchemy, it came at just this perfect time for it to strike, you know, a chord with people because and while they're not kids' books, as J k. Rowling has written on since, I'm a massive fan of uh, of well, maybe not the casual vacancy, but her her detective series, Cormorant Strike Sense, because it has everything that, in my opinion, Harry Potter has, though they're they're adult oriented books. And they just don't have that following. Even many fans of Harry Potter books don't read them. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it, to me, I don't understand it because I feel like she continues to capture exactly what Harry Potter did. But uh, I think that Harry Potter came at just this perfect, and I don't know all the factors that were involved, in the same way that Star Wars did in 1977. It just came at this perfect time to capture exactly what it needed to because star wars could have faded off into the annals of history like and and not to insult star wars like all the other schlocky 1970s science fiction shows or movies Mm -hmm. that were out but it didn't for for some reason that i don't think could be scientifically quantified it struck that chord with people in 77 Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and and as a movie uh, again i was not alive then maybe ask Lou because he will remember but everyone saw star wars yeah. Every, and again, when, when The Force Awakens came out in 2015, everyone saw that movie. My parents, who, while they, they introduced us to Star Wars, were never Star Wars fans, they saw that movie when The Force Awakens came out. And I, I don't know that, I think as far as the Star Wars books, kind of to bring it back to that, very few books are those everybody has read this book kind of thing. In the last few years, the only thing I can think of that really... Uh, other than Game of Thrones, was like Fifty Shades of Grey. Every yeah. s- person seemed to be reading that. Uh, you know, and, and yeah, Game of Thrones, since the show came out, but that's a little more easy to understand how that all worked. But I don't know that the Star Wars books could ever get to that point where they end up on a table when you walk into a bookstore with you know, as 10 books you have to read this year alongside non-genre fiction. Yeah, I don't, I I don't think that agree. they ever could. And I wish they would. And I, I mean, I don't. Very few science fiction or fantasy books make it on those kind of tables anyway, which I think is a crime. But I don't think. I, I guess what I'm saying is, Star Wars will always be so long as it's coming out among the top grossing movies the year it comes out. Mm-hmm. I don't think Star Wars will ever be that in books. Unfortunately, it, it will never be to to books what it is to movies. Yeah, I, I do wish that
1: it was because I think it it would really. I think capture a section of not only the general star Wars fan base, because believe it or not, there are people like myself out there who are very, very, very casual when it comes to the novels. And I think they would capture that if they went a little bit more mainstream with the way they, they told their stories or presented the, uh, the, the way the novel's, are released or the story they want to tell or the timeline or you know however way you want to look at it i think that is it possible to do yes is it likely no yeah i think and
2: that's just a shame in my opinion and and now that you say that i was thinking about like, about kind of being publicly or or mass appealing i think that something that's key to a lot of stories that are mass appealing is they start off with a character who has limited or no knowledge of what you're going into who kind of serves as the the reader's avatar for it Mm -hmm. star wars episode four has that in luke obviously he's grown up with there being spaceships other than that he's he's the the viewer's avatar i don't i think a star wars book could come out that had a character like that that people latch onto. uh harry potter who knew nothing going into it so you learn with him i don't think that lucasfilm will ever make that book because how would you how would you make that work? I I, I I wouldn't want to read a book about someone from 2017 going a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That'd be weird. But I think an author is capable of writing it. Yeah, somewhere, someone there has that idea that they could write that. But I don't think it's marketable from Lucasfilm. It's too big of a risk. I think the payoff could be huge, but the risk I think is too great for them to take that risk. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so unfortunate thinking about. <laughs> yeah. I, I,
1: in a time where Star Wars could be taking more risks, but no, nope, they
2: won't do it. Well, I was going to say, I think, Chris, I think we're the first people who have ever, ever said that Star Wars should take more risks. I don't think that's a common idea, people. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that if if in order for Star Wars to – if it was to break into the mainstream pop culture of books and literature – it would need to take big risks that I don't think mm-hmm. they're willing to take. Um, yeah. And that I can't even – again, I can't even envision how, what, how, what that story would look like. But I'm sure someone can. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's some writer there thinking, I have this book and I think it could be the next big thing. We were talking in Slack a few months ago about different Star Wars story movies ideas. And I thought you could you could as a movie – You could make a Star Wars movie that's essentially like a 1980s Spielberg children's movie set in Star Wars where, you know, you've got kids and they find a crashed spaceship or something and it goes from there and have that appeal to many people. Someone has that idea for a book. There's someone in the in the eight billion people in the world who has that idea for a Star Wars book that would do that and that would capture more people than the built in Star Wars audience plus the few who look on social media and see there's a new Star Wars book coming out. But I don't think Lucasfilm will hire that person to write that book. Mm -mm. And so what will end up happening is, and, and this is to bring things back to where we started with the Orville, when Seth MacFarlane, my understanding is had actually pitched the idea of the Orville to CBS as a Star Trek show years ago and was rejected for it. Uh, because CBS had other plans, and I think that that person out there who has that idea for that Star Wars book that will hit it mainstream, they'll take their ideas and they'll retool them, and they'll end up releasing a book that's a hit. Mm-hmm. That 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 uh, I read a trilogy last year called uh, the uh, Red Rising trilogy by a guy who is an unabashed Star Wars fa- fan. He said he read up until the around the canon split. He read. Every single Star Wars book that was released, his books—they're not—it's not like they're set in the Star Wars universe, but there's a lot of Star Wars in the DNA of them, mm-hmm. and they are incredible. They are, and and I would not be surprised to hear that he pitched an idea like that to a company like Lucasfilm, and was told no. I don't think he did, but it would not surprise me mm-hmm. to hear it. Um, and instead, he released a massively successful trilogy of of kind of young adult, verging to. The young range of adult fiction trilogy, and that his next book coming out after that is majorly anticipated. and and I think that if Star Wars books took that risk, the payoff could be huge because we'd all read it. I mean, maybe not you, but we'd all read it anyway. <laughs> yeah <laughs> because we're 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 that built-in audience. But if they took just a bold risk and released something totally different and just built this, you know, an example: When, when, when the the two thousand and nine Star Trek movie came out, you could watch the first about thirty seconds of that trailer, and not even know it was a Star Trek movie. Just the, mm-hmm. way they, and if if they could take a make a book that you could read an excerpt from it, and it not immediately stand out as Star Wars, but have something that grabs people, you know. And, and you take that and you start you, – you campaign with that and you read a, an excerpt of it that doesn't have the distinguishing factors of Star Wars but grabs people anyway. I don't know how you'd write that, but someone could.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you, you, you take that and you, you parade that around and you read these excerpts that are grabbing people and then you say, oh, by the way, it's, it's a Star Wars book. I think that if you intrigued people before they saw that Star Wars name on it, they would get past that bias that people have against science fiction and tie-in fiction. I, I, again, I can't agree more. (laughs) I think, (laughs) I think that's a very valid
1: point. Um, and it's not just, you know, an excerpt, but like, even like the first few chapters of a book like that, that is where you really have to grab, obviously somebody's attention when it comes to a book. It's, it's the first few chapters. Um, because often, there are people that go to the bookstore, read either the back cover or like the first chapter. or So before they buy it and if they like it then they'll buy it or they'll yeah. have more, um, a more chance to do it. Perfect example is again, Harry Potter, the first book isn't like talking about wizards or anything. It's just a, the normal yeah. everyday life of a, of a boy. And you know, well, it, it, takes a f- it takes a few chapters to get into like, you know, it introduces, you know, the owl stuff, uh, Hagrid and all that. But, it it plays off like a normal story at first. Yeah, and I think it's the first, first.
2: Really, it's not till chapter five that I think you maybe even hear the word wizard. Honestly, because yeah, it's 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 capturing people that like if you gave someone a book
1: that book just the text, no cover, no back cover, yeah. no anything, didn't tell them a thing about it, and they started reading it. You know, by the time we start introducing the
2: these new non real world concepts to the reader, they're already hooked. And that's like that's something I've often wondered because for example when Lost Stars came out I adored that book and I think that it is perhaps the closest that Star Wars has gotten in recent years to doing that mm-hmm. because I think I think someone who you know young adult fiction is hugely popular and it's all genre I mean it's not all genre but lots of it is fantasy sci-fi stuff yeah and I think I think Lost Stars came close to bridging that gap and I read it and I didn't at the time although I've considered it since, I thought my wife, who has watched all the Star Wars movies but doesn't care about Star Wars, would read and enjoy that book. And, and that's kind of my barometer. That's the closest a Star Wars book has ever come to me thinking, hey, I should hand this to my wife and she'd read it with, you know, she doesn't know. We watched Rogue One and she didn't even know that Tarkin was in Star Wars Episode Four, <laughs> much less that he was CGI. And she's watched mm-hmm. it with me tons of times. She just doesn't care. You know, she enjoys it for what it is and, and leaves it at that. And I think that was the first time I ever thought I could hand this to my wife, and she, if she got four or five chapters in, she'd be hooked. Yeah. There's been no book since then or before that that I can think of that I could hand to someone with no knowledge of star or you know, obviously know what a lightsaber is or whatever, but mm-hmm. and and have it really grab them. And again, Claudia Gray came close with Lost Star, but there's someone out there who could write that book. I, I I couldn't tell you who it is, but someone could. Yeah, yeah.
1: Hope, hopefully, we'll see some kind of—I don't want to say resurgence, but revolutionized Star Wars novel that that kind of just takes everyone by storm, and isn't just the same old mundane thing. I mean, it's, you know, I t- I talk to Lou and Tim weekly about you know the Star Wars stuff uh, that they're doing. <laughs> And we were talking about Phasma recently, and Lou said he finished it, and he was like, "It's you know, it's an okay book, but you know, it really wasn't what I was expecting or the story that I was hoping for." And I'm getting that sentiment with not just him, but other fans as well. That it's not you know the kind of story they want or what they're expecting. And you know, I, I said this a while back, but I almost think that yeah, you know, Star Wars books will never not sell no of course i I think there will need to be a point somewhere in the future um where you have this kind of turning point for them i think with the legends it was the new jedi order because that that was really a book phenomenon as, as close as what you're going to get because it was a whole new series it wasn't just like a little you know two or three part book series it was a whole entire like 21 books yeah exactly <laughs> it was insane and i i mean i didn't read the new Jedi jedi order i know there are people who love it i know there are people who absolutely despise it and say that it's <laughs> the you know it's the slowest moving thing uh, <laughs> you could possibly read but regardless of your opinion on it and again this should say something given that i've never read it and i usually have bad praise of the books it was a turning point for
2: these novels and it was a, a thing like uh, and i don't know this this is this probably is is oxymoronical but if that's a word the new jedi order books were new jedi order books over the fact that they were star wars books like they were they were new jedi order books more than they were star wars books if that makes any sense whatsoever cuz they've got jedi like it's 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 all star wars but they, while there was so many different authors writing them, they felt like this cohesive thing that mm-hmm. Star Wars books had not been before and rarely have been since that you could not have read a Star Wars book before and you could pick up Vector Prime, which, I mean, I like the New Jedi Order series, but you could pick up Vector Prime and it explained all of the character concepts enough that you could go off there it, from just being a fan of Star Wars. It would not appeal to the non-Star Wars fan. But to just, if you'd never read a Star Wars book before, while it uses characters from other books, it introduces them in a way that you don't need to know who they are beforehand. Uh, and I wish that Star Wars could create, uh, I think maybe they attempted this with Aftermath, and while I like those books, it utterly failed at doing this. I think that they could create a series that became event releases for many people outside of Star Wars fans the way Harry Potter or Twilight was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't just to be clear, I'm not equating Harry Potter to Twilight in terms of quality (laughs) at all. But they were similar phenomena. The first time I was ever at a bookstore and saw a big release party at a bookstore, it was just a fluke, was for one of the later Twilight novels. It was weird. It was strange. I got a totally inaccurate idea about what those books were about. People were wearing like Renaissance masks and stuff. And then I find out it takes place in like, I don't know, like Washington or something. Yeah, I don't know. But but I think that it, it could happen, that someone could say, look, we are writing books here that are going to be as revolutionary to books as Star Wars was to film. And, oh, yeah, they have the Star Wars name on them. I think that the unfortunate problem, if they did that, is they would alienate Star Wars movie fans who say, well, why didn't you just make those into movies? Mm-hmm. Star Wars is movies, not books. So I don't know. There's no perfect scenario. Man, that this is a good
1: discussion. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: I, I I do have to say, Chris, I'm going to have to go shortly here.
1: Yeah, I, that's, that's, that's fine. I was actually just going to wrap it up here soon. Sure. Anyways, kay. yeah, man, I think that's a really good topic. I mean, again, I'm like you. I don't know how you could do it or what the story would be or who would write it, but like you said, I'm sure someone is out there.
2: I, I mean, just
1: about I, the risk
2: that needs to be taken with it. Yeah. Again. Someone came up, like George came up with Star Wars from nothing. Granted, yeah. like there's the fingerprints of other stuff, but that came out of nowhere yep. in a vacuum. Bring it back to, to my first love, Star Trek came out of a vacuum. Mm-hmm. There was nothing alike it in science fiction TV at the time. There was Lost in Space, and while it has name recognition, people say it's one of the worst science fiction shows of the era. I've not watched it personally, but someone could do it. There are people with inventive, clever ideas. Again, Harry Potter came from nowhere. It came from, from J.K. Rowling's mind while she was riding on a train. Mm-hmm. Someone has this idea somewhere and could apply it to Star Wars and make Lucasfilm bank if they take that risk.
1: And I, I think that's a big if.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think it's a big if. I don't think it will happen. I think it's a it's a done conclusion. On, I wish it was even an if, mm-hmm. but I don't think that they will, would ever do it. All right, Zach. Well, I'm going to stop us
1: there because (laughs) I I think we could go on for for probably another hour about this. Probably, but I think it was a very good discussion. I just want to thank you. No, thank you for coming on the podcast. Again, I I think people need to watch the Orville. They probably Mm -hmm. need to give Star Trek Discovery a chance, even if you're not a fan. Watch the first episode on CBS, and then. Mm We'll just have to go from there. But also um, watch the Orville and laugh because yes. it is wonderful. It is wonderful. Yes, don't think it's like Family Guy in space because it's not. Yeah. If people want to talk to you online about mm-hmm. Star Trek or whatever, where can they find you?
2: I, I'm very limited online of late. I just don't find I have the time. But I am on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at InfiniteBatman. So I N F I N I T E B A T M A N. S, and while that has Batman in it, I primarily just talk about Star Trek there. So <laughs> it does, it's a quote from a book. It doesn't make a lot of sense in context with what I talk about. But, I mean, I'll chat about other things too. But that's really my main vector for people to reach me in social media. And, of course, you are in Slack too. I am in Slack.
1: So if you want to uh, pony up that $1 a month to uh, to join the Slack channel, go right for it. Because mm-hmm. you, I will be there talking about how bad the books are zach will be there talking about how great the books are
2: derek will be complaining about something yes (laughs) of course he's a derek (laughs)
1: all right zach well thanks again thanks chris thanks once again to zach for joining me for this episode of chasing fandom i will definitely have him back on soon to discuss star trek discovery in more detail so if that's something you'd be interested in please stay on the lookout for that one in the future in the meantime, any feedback about the show can be sent to Chris at randomchatter.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Chasing Fandom or at The Curse of Chris. You can find the network as a whole at Random Chatter or facebook.com slash Network. This podcast can be found on iTunes as well as Google Play, so just search for Chasing Fandom to subscribe to that feed. I greatly appreciate any rating or review you have for the show, so be sure to do that in iTunes. Finally, don't forget to visit patreon.com slash random chatter if you're interested in supporting the network financially. Before I head out, I wanted to give a shout out to the band I fight Dragons, whose track The Geeks Will Inherit the Earth features in this podcast. You can follow them at iFightDragons.com or at iFightDragons on Twitter. That's all for now here on Chasing Fandom. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next
0: time. We're the ones you used to make fun. We stay